Welcome back to the Depth and Light podcast. I'm your host, J.D. Pirtle. In this episode, we'll be talking to April Welch. April is the Associate Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and Director of Esports at the Illinois Institute of Technology, or IIT. With bachelor's degrees in both business administration and photography, a master's in applied professional studies, and another master's in technical communication and information design, April is a true polymath. As if that's not enough, she's completing a PhD in technical communications. I talked to April about a range of projects she's initiated and directed in her time at IIT, especially her role in building an early makerspace and launching an esports program. But first, what are esports? So here's the simple definition. Esports is organized competitive video gaming. Competitors play games like League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, and Super Smash Bros. But it's much more than that. It's an increasingly popular genre of sports with over 450 million viewers worldwide and a billion dollars in revenue. The International Olympic Committee has been mulling over adding esports to the Olympics, but as of yet, they are not slated for either the 2020 or 2024 Summer Olympics. Although video games are a much maligned art form and pastime, at least in the United States, professional gamers can make millions and many follow strict training regimens. I know some of you have already imagined a person just sitting on the couch playing video games for hours on end. And yeah, professional gamers obviously do play a lot of video games. But serious professional gamers also do mental training exercises with a coach, maintain strict diets, do muscle memory drills, and engage in the type of gym-based training commonly associated with traditional sports like basketball. Just like my father and grandfather spent hours and hours watching football, esports fans watch games being streamed on services like Twitch. Twitch has over 15 million daily active users, and a huge portion of what's being watched is competitive gaming. All over the United States, colleges and universities are instituting esports programs. And since 2013, many of them have increasingly recognized esports players as varsity-level athletes and offered them athletic scholarships. April, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I'm really excited to be in IIT in the tower and your amazing view of Chicago and your office. Um, so I just wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit about your background. It's been a great ride here at IIT. I've been here for 12 years. Wow. Um, and I've always been in, in some form of education, even when I was in consulting. I was in Arthur Anderson was my first job. And okay. I moved from there to Anderson Consulting. And mm-hmm. I, it turned into a censure while I was there. So that tells you how old I am. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but always it's been tech education has been the theme. I was on the technical education team for Arthur Anderson and Mm -hmm. then moved on to do tech consulting back. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I worked at DePaul for a while, creating an accelerated e-business program for for kids in the neighborhood. And um, the president of DePaul saw how well those kids were doing and actually pulled me and put me on his team to help with the teaching technology to the staff at the time and helping with an implementation of PeopleSoft. 
Um, so always, no matter what job I sign up for, I end up in tech education. Excellent. <laughs> so I know well, I'm in the right spot. My favorite two worlds for sure. <laughs> so what brought you to IIT? Actually, that's an interesting story. So I was um, traveling. I went, after I finished DePaul, I got a, got a nice chunk of uh, travel money. And I went to Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia for three months in Burma. Mm-hmm. And when I came back home, I called a friend, and she was working here. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, while you're looking for a job, why don't you help me with a summer program? <laughs> so her name's Joy Robinson, and mm-hmm. I totally did that. I wrote a, actually a digital photography program for Joy. Okay. Um, and that led to another summer program called Pre-Trans. It was a civil engineering program. And then I got I met Mike Gauze, who is my current boss. He's the he's the senior vice president for enrollment and he reports only to the president and the provost. And from there I've been able to do lots of fun things. My title is very it's very ambiguous. <laughs> it's um associate Those are the best ones. Yeah, I love it, right? Associate Vice President for Strategic Initiatives. So basically what that means is I get to do new things. Mm-hmm. So all the all the bright ideas you really want to see if you can pull off, I get to pull them off and um I've had a lot of fun over the years doing it. I was going to ask you about the history of IIT, but I was going to ask you first about one of the things I think that you did in this role is very early, at least in the world of makerspaces in 2010, you built the idea shop here. So how did that happen? What, what, I mean, I'm thinking of the makerspaces that happened three, four, five years after that. They were really the first ones in a lot of places, but you were even before that. So how did that project get initiated? And, And can you describe like building the idea shop. And Absolutely. Everything. That was that was one of my f- most my, my most proud <laughs> moments um, when we, we got the go ahead on that project mm-hmm. because like you said in, in twenty ten not very many people knew what you're talking about when you say I want to make a makerspace. Um, but what happened was we were able to well, there are three things that the university was considering doing at the time. Building an entrepreneurship center, mm-hmm. building a research center well, four, actually, building a teaching and learning center. And then my boss and I proposed a makerspace. Mm-hmm. Um, and we modeled it off of one of the some of the work that the Museum of Science and Industry was doing. Okay. So one of our iPros, we have an iPro program here, which is project-based learning. It started mm-hmm. in 1995, wow. way before people were doing project-based learning. Yeah. And that brings kids together from all different walks of life. So they could be architects, engineers, business majors, but they get a real world problem to solve. Mm-hmm. So one of our iPros was creating a way to rapidly prototype things for businesses. Sure. So that's where the idea shop came from. Mm-hmm. My first hire was a recent graduate named Joe. He's awesome. <laughs> and we, uh, we, modeled the work that they did for MSI and we bought a full bed CNC. We bought Mm -hmm. a wonderful Roland 540 smaller mill that you can mill metal with. We bought two laser cutters. We bought 3D printers. Mm -hmm. At the time, they're $20,000 and not very many people had them. Oh, yeah. Um, We bought 3D scanners Mm -hmm. even back in the day. So we were able to do really cool projects. Like with that 3D scanner, one of our students scanned out a model of an F- 150 truck and converted it into a homeless vehicle. Wow. So that it would be it would be like a, a place for homeless to live and drive and move around. So oh, that's I, great. It's like a modification of the truck. Yeah, like a like a mini mobile home that you could afford. <laughs> that's amazing. So and so 
are we talking about bachelor's, master's, PhD? Everybody's using that space. Everybody's using that space. And that's what the real lure of it was. All the other space, like we've had laser cutters on this campus as soon sure. as laser cutters came out, but of course. only the people in the, the graduate students in the engineering labs were able to access them. Right. Um, so this was the very first space that freshmen could access that, mm-hmm. that would create that collision of confidence and that collision that lets people explore different sides of a way to think about things. So sure. like for instance, we had our Matt Spanko is one of my favorite robotics teachers. And he was in this space at the same time as a psychology teacher happened to be there at the same time as an architect happened to right. be there. And that in that spontaneous conversation sure. helped a kid in a way that could never happen in in the in other these isolated models. Yeah, the solo a silo kind mm-hmm. of mindset. Um so, so that was in 2010. So it's almost uh, probably pretty wild to think about this, but it's almost 10 years later. Oh so my gosh, yes. what has been the impact of that shop? I mean, oh. makerspaces are fairly ubiquitous in universities now. Yes. Mean, well, hopefully they are. <laughs> so what, what do you feel like? I mean, what have you observed is like the impact of that? Well, that I think, place? oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest, one of our missions in building that space was to build a model that we could walk our trustees through and other potential donors so that we could build a full building okay. that was dedicated to collaborative learning and makerspace and our IPRO program and mm-hmm. our Institute of Design is now ho- at there, that may, that new building is called the Kaplan Innovation Center. Tech oh, okay. education is its focus. Tech entrepreneurship is its focus. Ed Kaplan, who is an amazing guy, and he's really hands-on with the students. He's mm-hmm. you'll actually see him there on occasion if you walk over to the building. Um, there. They're, they've done such good work connecting your actual business to making things. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we stand out. That was our mission. So it wasn't just let me make random things. It was let me make things that I can make a living later with or let me make things that will help. Like there, we had kids who made prosthetics for farmers and mm-hmm. we had kids who made lots of um, just amazing innovative breakthroughs Sure. For other for bigger projects, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the biggest gift that it gave was that that space to work together. Sure. So um, the, so you saw kind of at that time the idea shop is like a proof of concept that could lead to that would kind of convince the people, the decision makers, and the donors that a larger initiative was necessary. Was, yeah. So it was almost like a prototype to make prototypes. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I that's, never thought of it like that, but yeah, it's that's, certainly... That's amazing. That's exactly what we did. And then uh, in the space, again, with my ed tech background, we, we thought about teaching and learning. Right. So we had Mac minis mounted in the ceilings and we had projectors on the, this is again in 2010. Yeah. So the very first, we were the very first school to do a one-to-one iPad um, release. So all our wow. freshmen got iPads and all our teachers got iPads and we brought Apple in to teach people how to use them. Right. Um, so it was really phenomenal. So people could in our space walk through, it's commonplace now, but in 2010 it wasn't. You could walk sure. through with your iPad and throw your slides on any screen that you want. And I'll just swipe in there. Swipe they were. in and there they were. No, no connections, no delays. You can, yeah. if you have a thought that you want to communicate and you just can use your phone and toss it up. Um, so we were really innovative in the way that you, we thought about how people want to teach and sure. the future of teaching. Um, yeah. And we were some of the first to use Google Docs together so that sure, people in different stations yeah. were actually editing the same document and creating a lot, wow. of, a, a lot yeah. of fun things. It's wild to think that uh, that's only nine years ago, and it seems like 
that would have, I mean, we, I think it's hard for us to realize that that, that was so cutting edge. Right. The iPad is so ubiquitous now. And, right. all, and a lot of this is just part of our kind of everyday vernacular. But uh, in 2010, that was the very bleeding edge. It really was. It Because they wow. came out then. So, yeah. And we had a big iPad wall, actually. We had a 25 iPads mounted to the wall that we programmed to work as a unit. Sure. So even when Apple came there, they were like, how'd you pull that off? Oh yeah. So you're showing them. How to do it. <laughs> right. So that kind of, like, just kind of backing up, but like, I feel like it's no accident that this is happening at IIT because uh, can you maybe talk about the kind of founding of IIT and the history and ethos oh, a little for, bit? Cause absolutely. that's a pretty interesting story. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's again, one of the reasons that I just absolutely love being here is to be able to be part of that legacy and to be moving that, that initial mission forward. And sure. it, it came about actually there's a there's a book called think and grow rich and in that book by napoleon hill there's a story about the founding of iit um that book i don't know if your readers know of it because it's there it's a very old book it was by carnegie the carnegie family um paid for it to happen but what happened was they interviewed all the wealthiest people at the time and they were trying to narrow down what thread is common amongst all the wealthiest people sure and they found when they they were talking to Father Gonzalez, he's the priest who made a pitch. It's called the Million Dollar Sermon. Wow. He made a pitch and he said, if you would give me a million dollars, I will build a university. And again, this is 1890. I would build a university that is focused on serving everyone. So mm-hmm. IIT was one of the first schools that had African-Americans, one of the first schools that had women, the first school that had immigrants just were, who were just arriving and it was affordable and at that time it, there was only a college was very elite at that time and this was one of the first schools that said we're opening this up to the to the world and we're focusing on technology and at the turn of the century technology was very different but the focus is still the same get sure. to the front of the line get to the get to the edge and and create something that contributes to society so marvin cameras actually these mics and this setup that you have right here my i don't know if you know much about marvin cameras but he had a cousin who was an opera singer and the recordings at that time the big 78s were very very diminishing to her voice sure. he wanted to pick up the tones and the depths of her voice right so he was traveling and he noticed that the Pipe organs had pipes that were much longer than they needed to be sure. to create that deep resonance. Yeah. And he came back, and he's actually the one who created magnetic tape recording with that deep resonance. Oh, interesting. Started here. Wow. Um, radar started here. Things in the 40s and the 50s, IIT was the premier institute here. Um, when they did the Manhattan, when they did the, you know, the Manhattan projects were right, and all of the work that you think of it during World War II that was happening, mm-hmm. a lot of it took place in the building that you're in right now. Wow, that's amazing. And there's cinder blocks beneath us. It's a very deep basement. I could, I could take you on a scary tour. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, um, yeah. So it seems like this is the perfect place for you to be doing. So your your title is associate vice president for strategic initiatives, and you kind of mentioned that that is kind of looking at the horizon and what's next. And what's next for you guys means, you know, several years later for you know, kind of the not the early adopters, but the middle of the bell curve of that. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that you're involved with now that I think is really interesting and maybe not really known very well by people is esports. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, yes. So I was wondering if you could just to kind of maybe tell us what uh, the listeners, what esports are. Oh, sure. So um, we actually, I just met with the students who are leading our, that's one of my favorite things about IIT too, is all our students own their intellectual property. They lead, they teach, they actually are treated like adults. Oh, great. We don't, yeah. we don't coddle our students here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a hard school. They signed up for a hard school and they sure. know what they're getting into. And our esports team is very, is the same. Mm-hmm. I, we've got our student leaders are running the show. Mm-hmm. I'm the faculty advisor. My job is to block and protect them right <laughs> advocate for advocate for them and what esports is is um it's competitive gaming actually and it's it's very it's just dominant amongst the youth around um the world oh, yeah. um the united states is actually kind of behind the times in terms of spectatorship and viewing but playing we're there um right our our teams we've got six teams the biggest the biggest games right now are League of Legends, mm-hmm. Overwatch. Um, we've got a Rocket League team. We've oh, got excellent. a Call of Duty team. We've got um, they actually just did a Call of Duty event at the United Center and wow. they filled it up. Yeah. Um, I think people don't know how popular esports um, have become, and I'm right. I'm really excited to be at the at the leading edge of really trying to institutionalize it at a collegiate level. Sure. There's a lot of different players in this space right now. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think what sets IIT apart is the, the success rate of our teams and the way that our program focuses on building a whole community and supporting the whole ecosystem. So like we had Twitch here. Twitch is a phenomenal company. Sure. The, the top gamers make 500K plus a month that are, that are streaming on Twitch. Sure. Um, which in that and that's a month, <laughs> not a year. Sure, and like kind of um, to unpack that a little bit. It's when I talk to parents in schools or talk to parents, you know, they have kids in some of the schools I've worked with. There's this kind of feeling of like the I think they think the video game game world is kind of disorganized and uh, decentralized, and maybe not. There's no thread that unites the whole thing. Um, but with Twitch, I mean, it's it's no different than ESPN. I mean, right. you know, people say, why do kids watch video game? video games being played, but mm-hmm. it's like, why do people watch basketball being played? Absolutely. And I mean, to watch the games being played is just, you really see this, like when you see Michael Jordan make a shot from past the three-point line, that's sure. amazing. Right. But the the level of amazing on some of the things that these gamers are pulling out, it's just oh, sure. astronomical in terms of their reaction speed and how quickly they adjust and their oh, yeah. communication and their teamwork. And I mean, it's just a joy to watch them. I was watching Ethan Fox is the one of the president of our, of our esports club, not club, but team right now. And he was playing a game called Beat Saber okay. um, yesterday. It's a VR game. And Excellent. he started on expert level. <laughs> and, wow, that was, and where, was, that was the beginning. That was where he started. Up from there. <laughs> and um, it's just phenomenal to watch how they're able to stay focused. That's what I tell parents, actually. That's my biggest, my biggest mission, is to tell parents that what gaming does is it gives students a platform to hone their focus, hone their ability to communicate, hone their ability to stay on target and to right. keep like persistent. Like all the things you need to be successful in college, you right. need to be a successful esports player or even a casual gamer. Like the game, the practice that they put in to be good at the game is amazing. Oh, and yeah. it's just to I think it's to be credited. And if there are parents out there who have gamers, there are gamers who are not right. alone. Even though they look alone, they're not alone. They're talking to people all over the world. They're sure um, like as a campaign and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean some of that I mean you said Michael Jordan and you know he plays for a couple of hours. 
hours, but some of these guys and gals are playing for 20 hours. I mean, it's the stamina Absolutely. Um, to be able to sit there and focus and perform at that level is just incredible. It truly, truly is. And and to watch it is watch it grow like Las Vegas has got a got an interesting role in the esports world now. Um, as the as the betting on esports becomes a becomes a thing, a bigger thing, I think we're going to see a lot of different changes and a lot of lot bigger audiences and um, um I think it's going to be very interesting in the next few years where where this goes but like right now for the collegiate esports just like our basketball team is out there traveling going from school to school to school our esports teams all of them Rocket sure. League you know Hearthstone all of them are out there competing against other colleges and showing that they are the best of the best we've got kids in the top two percent in the world here wow so we've got people coming to IIT because they were on discord and they saw how cool these guys are yeah and that's that's developed in a relatively short time I mean the stature you guys have achieved yes most definitely so how did you get interested in esports is this like the kind of thing where you see the value of this for the the students and you're advocating for them or you you have been interested in video games or I, both all yeah definitely both and actually the idea shop was a a wonderful a wonderful platform for me for early this was before esports really more video games esports is a specific thing a competitive you know there there are leagues there are clubs there's companies but sure. gaming we did game nights in the idea shop just to give people that feel of home sure, that community. there's there's yeah. community there's something to do so in between our hackathons we were some of the first people to do a hathic, like we did 48 hour hackathons 24 hour hackathons and to get people's minds off of the project they're focused on sure. we would play halo yeah, or we would press. play yeah. minecraft or yeah. tetris or something mm-hmm. like that even um and that's where i started so with our students who are here in 2010 we started um 2013 elvin moy is an amazing student he's our iit alumni he's sort of we call him like the godfather of esports here um he was so organ he is so organized and he's still a very big part of the a part of what we're doing here um but yeah i think it's mostly just making sure that the students have the ability and the resources to run with it cuz they're the closest to the action and they know where the tournaments are and where they should be traveling and mm-hmm. how the schedule should look and what i'm doing right now is fighting to get them the same the same perks that the basketball team have like sure. being able to register early like having oh, well. yeah. excuses from class if you have a tournament like those types of things right so be on the same level as other sports mm-hmm. because I mean com- competitive gaming is, is has been going on for a long time. But yes. do you feel like it's like we talked about Twitch a little bit, but kind of the rise of the media that supports this? I mean, you know, Twitch's you know origin is not necessarily in video gaming, but it became it has become like a venue for people to stream their games, and for people to watch these elite people play. So do you feel like that kind of has driven has have has esports driven? things like Twitch or, or vice versa? I, I think it bloomed into esports because of things like Twitch. Sure. Before it was just gaming and you know hubs and lands and people getting together and playing against each other. Sure. Once the once the speed of the internet got up and you're able to stream and you're able oh, yeah. to play against people, you know, you know, across the world, that enabled us to get to the place where we're at now. And now with the new games coming along, you know, there's whole immersive like Beat Saber, there's whole immersive environments that soon you'll be able to like yesterday Jarrell was boxing with somebody in like Brazil. Oh, yeah. So, um, like, with an <laughs> Oculus, yeah. Yes, with yeah. an Oculus Quest, yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of my background's in virtual reality, and I feel like 
I feel like a lot of people expected VR to kind of infiltrate. I think there was a, there was a kind of a feeling of in a few years I'll watch Netflix in VR. Oh, okay. And I've constantly said that I thought VR would be an application specific thing, mm-hmm. and I feel like video games are a very obvious application. Absolutely. Um, I guess like the whole idea of like all screen time is not created equal. Yes. Um, I mean, how do you feel about like? I mean, a lot of parents, especially like, you know, in a K through 12 environment, I don't mm-hmm. know how, how much parents are worried about their college students screen time. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, like, how do what how do you talk about that when you talk about screen time and kids and, right. you know, video games versus kind of passively consuming Netflix or something like that? And see, I'm I'm horribly, horribly biased <laughs> um, because I think put them in there as early as possible and let them develop when their brain is still forming. Sure. I've got little cousins who started playing at one and a half, too, and they, oh, yeah. They're just phenomenal, and that I the down people that say, "Well, go play outside." I'm like, "How is that better?" Right? Or how, <laughs> how is it is, different? How really? is it? You know? Yeah. I'm like, "How is that better?" They this what they're playing right now inside is developing their ability to speak, their ability to influence each other, their ability to to see and react, and it's there's just so much they're doing right for their brain by sure. playing video games. Sure. <laughs> that I th- I think it's I think it's very and again like I said developing your ability to focus and sit there and look at a screen helps you write papers down the line. Sure. Helps you stay on target down the line. It helps you do a lot of things that you're going to need to do to be successful in school. So I I don't um, but again I don't have kids. I would be <laughs> and I know there's I know there's fear out there, but I think that the benefits outweigh the because none of the none of the studies that have tried to point gaming and connect it with violence have panned out. Sure. Like yeah. there's there's other influences that are far more predictive of violent behavior right. than are you a gamer? Sure. And um I think that there's I think that the fear is unwarranted and that the new medium of communication is going to be in gaming. So if you send a kid to school and he's been banned from gaming, he's not going to have anything to talk to the other kids about right. and he's going to have no cred. Right. <laughs> he's going yeah, to It's like a cultural it's thing. It's like a cultural thing. Yeah. He's not going to know who, you know, Wilson is. And, right. And uh, you know, it's he's going to get left out. Yeah, and, and I mean I think also I sometimes speculate um, about like you're using a controller, you're operating telepresently, like what will that lead to for these kids? I mean, we know we don't know what kind of jobs they're going to have because those jobs probably don't exist. But I mean, at what point will the skills they learned from using a pretty complex controller that's way more complex than my, you know, original Nintendo NES? um, I mean, you know, when will they be operating robots on Mars or something telepresently? And the same interface is this, it's the same interface. Right. Like that's when the last gaming conference I was at, the army was there in force. Sure. It's, it's the exact same infor- interface that's driving the things that they need to do sure. <laughs> that these kids are practicing on. Sure. So it's like the applications of this down the road. I mean, I think a lot of, at least in K through 12 um, students, I think a lot of times their parents haven't actually sat down and played the games with mm-hmm. them. I mean, some of that may be they feel like they wouldn't be good enough or they don't have enough experience, but I mean, it sounds like what could really help some people understand why their child who is 24 or is four, right. why they're so into this. It's yeah. like, hey, sit down and play with them. And, and with you know, them. So what's, I mean, there's, this, there's such a, like, 
there's storytelling, there's problem solving, Absolutely. there's communicating and collaborating, all these things that we want kids to be doing in school and in the world. It's, it sounds like it happens in video games. And another thing I was going to ask you about, so, I mean, scholarships for eSports, yes. that's that's a thing that's happening, right? Absolutely. We, have, we gave our first scholarships out last, last year, actually. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, actually, Robert Morris started that. Um, they were the first school to okay. give out scholarships right here from Chicago. So okay. you'll see that everywhere that Robert Morris did. <laughs> um, they were, they, their coach um, was really, really into finding a way, again, to merge video games with a competitive nature in college. Sure. And one of the best ways to do that, to find the best gamers, is to give scholarships to sort of offset the cost of being at school and to give the right. gamers time to practice. Right. And that's, I think, one of the biggest things, too, is that people think that, oh, they're just offhand casually gaming, but they're right. not. They've got rigorous practice schedules that sure. include eating right and exercise, and just like the other teams. Um, yeah. They're very focused and very dedicated to the specific games that they're playing. Um, and then the game, the games change. That's the right. that's the biggest difference between traditional sports and esports. I think that esports are more at the at the mercy of the game developers. So like right. Epic and all of those guys are able to you know change the games and all of your practice. <laughs> right, <laughs> needs and to it's be done again. I think that like maybe for the non gamers that are listening to this, I mean. They may be imagining like kind of a platformer that's very two dimensional, like Super Mario Brothers or something like that. But I mean, like when I play Rocket League with my own kids, mm -hmm. um, you're driving a car, hitting a kind of large metal soccer ball. Right. You're driving in like a big soccer pitch, but it's for cars, and you know the cars can you know shoot rockets out and kind of accelerate quickly. Absolutely. I mean, it's there's a lot of things that you have to do to kind of win a match in Rocket oh League. So, and I think that's one of the less complex examples right. of no. some of the things you have to do, especially if you're talking about a game uh, like a first-person shooter mm -hmm. where you kind of have to check your environment all the time. Oh and gosh, yes. I mean, they're managing multiple modes of thinking and doing constantly. Yes, while still being able to perform on target right at the right time, right in the right spot. It's it's sure. it's phenomenal to watch. And I, I love that you mentioned Rocket League. Right. So I gave another interview and I was comparing Rocket League to watching the Indy 500. So imagine all the different stimuli you get if you're watching Rocket League. Oh, yeah. Again, you're on the screen if you're watching the Indy 500. You're on the screen if you're watching Rocket League. Right. And what I think is people don't understand is how complex these games are and oh, yeah. how fun they are to cheer for people and to see the different modes of <laughs> of interacting that happen and the, our rocket league team is really they're they're such great kids and that's the next part of it is that it's a, almost a little celebrity status for our players sure. so like when you get like the best players and they're people who come here because they want to meet them Right. And um, it's really it's really fun to see like when the anime um, big conferences are out there now. Not only are the autographs being done by artists, they're autograph stations for gamers. Oh, yeah. So people are coming to meet the people who are playing at this level, and um, I think it's just phenomenal to see the culture grow. And these are the things that kids are gravitating to. So oh, yeah. to try to tell them not to do this and to go do kickball or go do something else just doesn't make sense because there's so much you can learn about yourself and prove about yourself when you're when you're engaged in a, in a on a platform that has so many different levels and so many different ways to win and lose and change and choose sure and they I, I think one of the things I've noticed when I've taught students with Minecraft or something I mean they are physically present next mm -hmm. to each other but then that telepresence they haven't they're having to get along and cooperate 
in a physical space in our actual world, but then also in the simulated world. And they may be right next to each other, like in a couch campaign kind of situation. Absolutely. But they could be across the world from each other and collaborating on a team that's dispersed everywhere. Oh, my gosh, Um, So I just feel like those are maybe new ways for humans to think and do. Absolutely. And that's what I'm working on right now, actually, my... um, my if I get my way, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have a platform that has virtual advisors. Rather than going to off physical office hours, you'll be able to go to a virtual office hour from anyone anywhere in the world. Wow. So that you could go to the virtual office of someone in Egypt if you want to learn more about Egyptology. Sure. And they could choose readings for you to read and a little video from them answering some really cool questions like, what's the meaning of life? How do you choose your work? That right. sort of thing. And wow. that takes away, because kids are much more natural and much easy. It's much easier for them to interact with a virtual person than it is for them to be brave enough to go talk to bang on the door and demand some time of the physical professor so for them to be able to find a a, find on their own (laughs) a bulletin board that they can add questions to that are right in that office and that sort of thing that's what i want to build yeah Um, so kind of more not necessarily democratic environment but like a mediated a environment. mediated environment and yeah. i want to gamify it of oh course. sure yeah because why uh, not that makes it more why fun. not right because then yeah. it'll be fun to find it you know find just like a treasure hunt like a sure. bingo for readings and like that right. sort of that sort of pokemon-esque game and like collect all the different uh yeah different genres. a lot of the research about gamifying thing i mean it's very motivational for mm-hmm. people you know um and I feel like the academic world is already intimidating enough for a lot of people. I mean, Absolutely. unless your parents are professors and you grow up on a college campus, yeah. it's, I think almost everybody, either it's because you're 18 and mm-hmm. you're coming to a place full of accomplished adults and it's hard to see how they got that way. Right, you don't, right. You don't see the 18-year-old in them that was just as scared. But Absolutely. Yeah, so anything, I think that kind of work is amazing like, to help the students feel more comfortable about Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing I think we can do because the the value of actually going to a physical college versus just studying online is interacting with these professors. Right. So the the goal would be to let them break down that first barrier and get a, you know, warm note back from the professor or someone. Find right. out more about them because they're afraid of looking dumb. They're right. afraid of asking something dumb. They're afraid of wasting their time. Sure. And all of those fears go away if they can interact first with a digital version of that professor. Right. Break the ice kind of and that's interesting that you say that you know people really laud the massive online you know campus Mm -hmm. and these you know like um coursera and things like Mm -hmm. that but Mm -hmm. then other studies say that kids who really need some of the effects of college that you don't think about like networking yeah you know that's if, if you're affluent if you already have connections in your family then you don't necessarily need that but for kids who don't have that the physical on campus experience gives them that which they wouldn't get online necessarily. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And that's why they need to be here. (laughs) And more so than what they'll learn, because they're going to forget what they're learning. I hope my boss doesn't hear this. But they're going to forget what they learned, but they won't forget who they meet and who helped them. Or how they made them feel. How they made them feel. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, and I feel like there's like that speaks a lot to diversity and inclusion, which Mm -hmm. is something that every school, every university is struggling with. You know, how how do we make sure that the students see people like them in these roles so Absolutely. they know that they can grow up to be that. Um, and, I mean, it sounds like you guys are really working on that quite a bit. Uh, we're trying, but we're just as, I mean, we've got, enough for our full, and this, again, full disclosure, our on our full-time faculty, there are two African-Americans out of 400. Oh, wow. Um, so if we had a system like this, 
then the African-Americans that are here would be able to reach out. And I always say, look, reach out for people who think like you, not who look like you. Sure. But there's something to be learned from people who look like you, who've gone through some of the similar challenges. Sure. Um, so if we had a platform that connected the, the professors from Howard and the professors mm-hmm. from Stanford and the professors from all over, sure. we would be able to give a richer experience to everyone. Right. And um, that's what I'm hoping to do. Well, and some of the same barriers, I feel like if you're not from an affluent family, you can't... F- I think that, like, I've talked to some other people about this, like the internships. Yes. You know, like a, an internship for a kid who really needs to work during right. the summer to make money to help their family out. They can't really go and do an internship that's not unpaid. Exactly. And they certainly can't fly to, you know, London to right. interview a professor um, <laughs> for, for a project they're working on. So it's, again, like kind of leveling the playing field a little bit and giving lots of entry points to these opportunities. That's my goal. I, I want to call it immortal. You Actually, this is the first time I talked about it. Oh, wow. Here you go. You heard, <laughs> it, you heard first, it here first. The very people. first time. I want to call it immortal you, and I wow. want to have a component that has professionals on one side and then your academic support on the other side so that we can build that pathway wow. from the academia to the professional world. Yeah, um, and so. then you can kind of... Kind of Front load that people can eventually go from academia right to be the to, professionals to, be, to help somebody else exactly. and kind of give them a handhold to, to grab onto. Exactly, that's yes. fantastic. I'm thrilled. I just got put on the board of a of a of an organization called Ace Mentor. Ace Mentor. Um, okay. Ace Mentor. Yeah, architect, construction, engineering, um, and we did the design build here, and they oh, cool. they have. Thousands of architects, engineers, construction people in the construction industry just signed up ready to mentor kids. Wow. But we need to pump kids in, in a way that they can benefit from. And sure. that's what I'm, I keep saying, that it's not that people don't want to help. It's not that there's you know 1950s level prejudice out there. It's right. that we don't have the infrastructure, the connection built so that sure. it make it easy. And that's what I want to build. I want to make it really easy. <laughs> so going beyond this, the desire to do it, mm-hmm. like in actually building out the systems that make yeah. it possible and make it easy exactly. so it'll actually happen. And I think a game like, I mean, again, not to harp on Pokemon, but that platform, that really works. It's on your phone. It's oh, yeah. virtual. and It's got multiple modes. You have a clear task. You have teams. You have oh, sure. you know physical points that you can go to. So like Museum of Science and Industry would be one of our points. Here's the challenges through this learning space and here's the points you get for it like that's that's the type of game i'm envisioning yeah i think pokemon go i think people thought they heard about it in the news and they knew it was a phenomenon but they don't realize that people have continued to enjoy it i mean i see people on the when i'm riding the subway here Mm -hmm. you know capturing whatever pokemon they (laughs) they find you know along the route and it's still a huge it's you know it's it depends on location. It's collaborative. Mm-hmm. It's engrossing. I mean, people just seem to love it. Absolutely. So. And it's connected to the real world. Right. And it's really, I think, the first big game that's connected to the real world. Like the, the spots that you go for the gyms are yeah. true. Like they're in Bronzeville here, there's historic spots that are, are Pokemon gyms. So yeah. the only reason you would see a kid by that statue is because he's looking for a Pokemon. Sure. But since he's there, now he gets to learn a little bit about the history of that space. Yeah, it's like the geocaching world meets the video game world meets augmented reality exactly yeah, yeah. i mean no wonder people like it so much oh my gosh yeah. yeah we might as well capitalize and give people a reason to reason to learn and go yeah. to educational spots so hopefully down the road people will be using your version of pokemon go that yeah. leads them through the academic world and helps them helps guide them through this what can be a pretty murky right experience i mean unless you have a really good advisor yeah i know i if it hadn't been for great advisors and mm-hmm. asking lots of questions mm-hmm. i wouldn't have i wouldn't have made it so it's true and yeah. there's a lot of pit- 
pitfalls in higher ed. You oh, can yeah. end up with a ton of debt and no degree very right. quickly and, and no easily. job. Yeah. And no job, yeah. yeah. And that's true. That's another component I want to add, the ability to think through what you want to do in your life. Like yeah. when I say I, my work is my play and my play is my work, I mean it. I right. adore this job. I, I love the kids. I love being here. It's exactly yeah. where I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And yeah. like I rarely take vacation because I love being here. That's so great to hear. That's um, the kind of people you want in education. And, yeah. um, well, April, that's, that, it's been so awesome to talk to you. Where can people find you online in some of these programs? Yeah, um, so our programs, summer.iit.edu. Um, all my summer programs are there. We, we hosted SMASH. I'm thrilled to have had SMASH on campus. Um, we've got YMCA camps we're running. We've, again, the ACE Design Build Partnership's going. Our Exelon camps ran really well this summer. We're doing one with, with Apple. Um, we've got a Coca-Cola mentoring program that we're running. Um, so, yeah, this summer Summers are phenomenal for helping kids. Um, and then my my email, you can always reach me. I'm at um, welchA at iit.edu. Awesome. Yeah. And so some of these summer programs are for kids that are like high school, elementary? Mm-hmm. High school and elementary. The oh. YMCA program I'm super proud of. We sent our computer science and engineering students right into the most at-risk neighborhoods wow. to expose the youngest kids about computer science, game design, robotics, circuitry. Uh, they used Makey Makey kits. They oh, used yeah. a bunch of really fun, just, you know, ways to introduce kids in a fun, in a way that doesn't scare them. And then they connected math and science and robotics and game design in, in a real fun and fun way. So That's great. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, April. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking oh, the time. No, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Depth and Light podcast. Special thanks to April Welch and IIT. If you like this or other episodes, please consider writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Depth and Light, check out our website at depthandlight.com. That's D-E-P-T-H-A-N-D-L-I-G-H-T.com. Or on Instagram or Twitter via the handle at depthandlight.